0: Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text is from Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Not when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Going to see several different Old Testament fulfillments in this chapter, which will bring our our total for the book so far from one all the way up to five. So we'll look at those as we go. It's also a very familiar text in regard to the Magi. Uh, We'll talk about that word in a second. But you can certainly ask your children about even the very first verse. Let them tell you the account. Let them tell you about the visit that these men make to baby Jesus. Have them share with you what they know. It's a great way to get them telling the account of Scripture, the testimony, the truth about Jesus. He can also ask specific questions. Who were these visitors? How many were there? Why did they come? We only know bits and pieces of the answers to those kinds of questions. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. We saw that yesterday. In the days of Herod the king, before Herod's died, that's going to be a theme of this chapter as well. Behold, and then... Matthew doesn't actually say wise men here. The word he uses is literally just magi. It is a very specific type of person. They are priests of a different religion called Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism is still around today. It's a very small one, only about 100,000 followers in the world at the moment. But it was an Eastern religion at the time. And the aim and the goal of their priests was to learn anything and everything they possibly could. Like just the complete and total seeking of knowledge was the task, and it's believed then that that's part of why the Magi were able to stumble across the prophecy of the Jewish Old Testament. Some attribute it also to Daniel, uh, Daniel's time serving over 60 years. I mean, he spent 66 years serving the Babylonian kings and then a couple more serving the kings of Persia, King Cyrus, before he dies. It's almost 70 years roughly there's those who attribute Daniel's time there to being how the the Jewish scriptures end up in the hands perhaps of the Magi there might be something to that can't say that for any certainty though it could just be the Jews went into exile in Babylon and they brought their scriptures with them or maybe as the Magi traveled they ran across Jews and saw a new holy book and decided they wanted to learn more about it hard to say for certain. What we do know is the Magi certainly did learn about Jesus. They learned about the prophecy of the Messiah, a Savior who would come into this world and be born King of the Jews. And they were interested enough that they were willing to make a long journey to meet this Savior. We don't know where they come from specifically. could be as far over as the Persian Gulf, near uh, where Babylon may have been, for example. It doesn't have to be that far away, and then again, it could be even farther away to a land that was previously known as Elam in the Old Testament. They might have traveled by camel, but the animal doesn't actually show up in the text here. It makes the most sense. I mean, camels are, are really designed by God for desert travel and would have been a tremendous boost to their ability to make the journey in any kind of timely fashion. Camels can travel significantly farther and faster uh, than we can on foot. So camel caravan makes sense. Camels can cover anywhere from 40 to 120 miles a day with riders on their back. So if we're talking Western Asia for this group of men, they could have traveled as far away as maybe 2,500 miles But also, it could have been as short as a couple hundred miles. So their journey could have been completed in as few as a couple days to as long as maybe two months. That's a a fair time range for this trip. Now, their interaction with Herod ends up being filled with deception. Not on their part, on Herod's part. He is jealous and concerned when they bring him news that a king has been born, king of the Jews, never mind the fact that we're talking about a baby, right? So for this baby to take the throne from Herod not that Herod actually has a, a legitimate throne to begin with the Romans didn't view him as a king but the scriptures treat him that way I guess he his attitude and action towards the people perhaps showed that kind of a display of power over them but he's so jealous and concerned for his power that he doesn't think clearly in any of this right and give it at least five years And even that would be way too early to establish a five-year-old as king. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years before he's going to be a legitimate challenge to your throne. If that's the case at all. So Herod overreacting, but he's troubled. And when your king is troubled, all of Jerusalem's troubled too. That makes sense, right? If your king is angry, that's going to cause trouble for everyone. So he summons together the chief priests and the scribes, those who would have knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures and asks where this Messiah would be born. And they point to the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, which announces that it, he would be born in Bethlehem to shepherd God's people. Bethlehem is the home of Israel's King David. And this is the Second Samuel 7 promise that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. Now, Matthew doesn't point out that fulfillment here but instead the fulfillment of the prophet Micah is what is being given to us. Now Micah wrote somewhere between 750 and 686 B.C., so several centuries earlier, but also multiple centuries after King David had already died, David dying in the 900s B.C. at some point. So the beauty of God's Old Testament prophecy, the idea that the Lord actually knows the future and he shared it with us, that such a great thing would happen. The ruler of God's people would come from Bethlehem. Herod learns from the wise men, the magi, when the star arrived, and he sends them to worship the child and then bring back news to him so he can also go and worship the child. Except again, we know this to be a lie. He wanted to know so he could go and kill the child. Again, for his fear. They follow the star to the home, where Jesus was. And they get to see Jesus together with Mary, Joseph not mentioned, doesn't mean he wasn't present, but they get to see Mary and Jesus, and they worship Jesus. And they offer him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which tends to be why we have pictures of the Magi at the, in the nativity set that we will have with three Magi present, because there's three gifts. And the word for Magi is a plural word, so there's at least two of them. But there's nothing in the text that gives us a number other than that. So it could be two, it could be 50, it could be three. We just don't know. Uh, But three is the historical number we're used to seeing. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts could be a sign, an indication to us of some faith from the Magi. Gold is used in the Old Testament to honor God. The closer you were in the temple... To the Lord's house very specifically to his throne the more precious the material was so in the most holy place or the Holy of Holies the throne of God the Ark of the Covenant was dominantly gold gold was everywhere in that room but as you went out into the courtyard for example things were often just made of bronze so a gift befitting a king and then frankincense from Exodus 30 is one of the ingredients used to make incense offerings to the Lord And myrrh, in Exodus 30, is one of the ingredients used in the oil of anointing. So, bringing frankincense to burn incense to make prayers to Jesus, bringing myrrh to anoint Jesus as king, prophet, and priest, the three Old Testament anointed groups. I'm not saying that the Magi did this, but it's, again, it could be a significant sign of their belief and their faith that Jesus truly is king and also their Savior. That they've read the Old Testament scriptures enough that they know these things about him. Now Isaiah chapter 60 also did prophesy, "...a multitude of camels shall cover you, young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord." So even though camel doesn't show up in Matthew, There is an old testament prophecy pointing to gifts of gold and frankincense being brought to the king via camel now they are warned by an angel not to return to herod and so they don't they take a different route home at this point an angel appears also to joseph and he tells him to go down to egypt now the journey to egypt doesn't have to be as long as a lot of people often believe where you you envision the Holy Family traveling all the way down through the Sinai Peninsula, all the way over toward the Nile River. Yes, that is Egypt, but Egypt also stretches to the east. At its shortest distance, this is about a 75-mile trip. Could have been longer. We're not told where in Egypt they go, but at minimum it's 75 miles. So again, using a camel or using a donkey that trip could be handled within a day or two. It's not that long of a trek. At least it doesn't have to be. So they go there, they sojourn in Egypt for a period of time that's not specified in the text until Herod dies is what we're given. Josephus, the great Jewish historian of the first century, puts Herod's death at about 4 B.C. So the birth of Jesus makes sense in the range of 6 to 4 B.C., And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Matthew again says Old Testament fulfillment here. This is number three for him. He quotes from Hosea 11, verse 1, Out of Egypt I called my son. That both has the the meaning that God called the Israelites as his chosen people out of Egypt, rescued them from slavery. But now it's also being brought forward to point us to the Messiah, the Christ, his son Jesus. So that's our third We're going to see numbers 4 and 5 today before we're done as well. Then Herod believed he was tricked. I'm not sure the word tricked really fits. The Magi agreed to come and return to him. That much is true. But God specifically told them not to. So they obey God's instruction and they don't go back to Herod. That's not really tricked in my book. But Herod believes that to be true and Matthew records it for us. So... We might find a a slightly different English word, perhaps, but Herod angered, furious over this, and he goes and he kills all the male children in Bethlehem, two years old and under, according to the time he had ascertained from the Magi. Thus fulfilling what was spoken by the prophet. so this is number four, a voice heard in Ramah, weeping in a loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Ramah is a city in the Negev. It is the old home of Elkanah and Hannah, the parents of Samuel, that you might be familiar with that account. Samuel ended up living there as well later on. Rachel is the mother of Benjamin and Joseph, the wife, one of the wives of Jacob. The oddity of this quote from Jeremiah, since Rachel had already long been dead, basically the idea that she who once was barren would now grieve the loss of her children, which essentially has made her barren again. So great is the weeping going to be over the death of all these children. The church does mark this as Holy Innocence Day. That's celebrated every year just after Christmas. Typically December 28th, although there are some church bodies that do December 29th instead for that one. And then the last paragraph here, Herod dies... Again, 4 BC, Angel tells Joseph to bring the Holy Family back to Israel, and so he does. Herod's territory at this point, by the way, divided in half, with his son Archelaus becoming Ethnarch of the Tetrarchy of Judea. That's quite a title. He's removed nine years later by the Roman Empire, and they end up reorganizing the the way they draw their maps and do things, and it becomes the province of Judea at that point in history. But Joseph fears Archelaus. I do want to point that out. This is not good. Joseph being faithful, doing what the angels tell him to do, is described as a righteous man, a just man, showing faith. But here is a moment where he doesn't show that faith. He's afraid. But the Lord works through that fear, and he guides him. He gives him another a dream, another warning. And gives him direction and again Joseph follows that so I'm not not trying to be hard on him here but a reminder even his son here Jesus Christ will teach us in Matthew chapter 10 that we are to fear nothing but God himself so he goes to live in Nazareth so that another prophecy might be fulfilled this is number five that he would be called a Nazarene you won't find a direct link to that in the Old Testament it seems instead to be more of a play on an insult that the Nazarenes were a people looked down upon and despised. So Psalm 22, verses 6, 7, 8, 13, Isaiah 53, verses 2, 3, and 8, ideas of prophecy that the Messiah would come and that he would be despised by the people might be the fitting link together with this text. Now, as you talk about all of these details, one of the things that will come to mind is, okay, when? When do the Magi visit? There's a couple of details that pop out in the text that lead to the idea among some people that Jesus is close to two years old by the time the Magi visit. First is the idea that they visit Jesus in a house. Second is the idea that Herod kills all the boys two and under based on the timing that he had learned from the Magi. I'm going to go out of my way and suggest that this is off and that we should assume a... a, quicker visit from the magi now let me let me describe that there's really a difficulty to put luke's chronology and matthew's chronology of the childhood of jesus together because they don't cover all the same details as one another they give us different accounts they have different focuses going on but let me handle let me rebut the two things that i mentioned first the first point that they visit jesus in a house it's possible jesus was born in a house Luke makes the point that there was no room for them in the inn, and that has led to so many of our nativity scenes being in stables and in all kinds of other places where animals would be kept. The problem with this is that's not the word for inn that Luke uses. Luke uses the Greek word kataluma, which shows up two other times in our New Testament. Once in Mark fourteen fourteen, but importantly, also once more in Luke's own gospel writing, which is in chapter 22, verse 11, where we translate it, both of those places, guest room. The ancient house typically had a, a two-room structure with the family living room, the space where you would live with your family, and then you had an additional room in case you had guests that would come and visit you. You would often bring your animals into the house overnight so that they could be warmed, kept warm and also warm your house, and prevent theft. Your animals don't just wander off overnight in the community. Those are some of the ancient ideas around this. So the idea that they visit Jesus in a house doesn't in any way, shape, or form actually help us with the timeline. He may have been born in a house. We don't know of any certainty on that one. And the second detail, that Herod kills the two-year-olds and under, that's also misleading here. Read that verse again in verse 16, that he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under. If Herod was being specific to everything he had learned that day from the Magi and from his chief scribes, he would not have killed all the baby boys in the region around Bethlehem. Doing it in Bethlehem would have been enough. Why does he take a bigger angle? Why does he shoot farther? He doesn't want to miss. If he's going to go to the risk of killing all the baby boys in a town it's not going to make the jews happy he's not going to he's not going to risk missing and so he's going to he's going to aim larger he's going to spread his net and that's the same then with this idea of him killing all the two-year-olds or under if he's paranoid enough insane enough to do this if he learned jesus was two he wouldn't have stopped with the two-year-olds he would have killed the three- and the four-year-olds as well to make sure he didn't miss. If anything looks like it's a, an infant, if anything looks like a toddler, just kill it. The kind of order he might have given his soldiers. So the idea that Jesus has to be two years old because of that number here just isn't true. If the Magi took a long journey to get there, if they traveled for a year, for example, and they were following that star the whole time, then the star has been up there for a long time. All right, so the Magi visiting could have happened anytime, even the night of Jesus' birth. Let me give you a, an early visit scenario and a late visit scenario. This is based on Luke having the Holy Family leaving Jerusalem when Jesus is 40 days old, and then they travel to Nazareth for their new home, whereas Matthew has them leave Bethlehem after the Magi visit, and when they come back from that, they don't go back to Jerusalem, they go to Nazareth. So if the Magi visit early, that is sometime within the first couple of weeks of Jesus' life, Jesus is named and circumcised on day 8. The Magi have visited. The Holy Family leaves. They go 75 miles or more down to Egypt. Herod dies within a week, within a couple of weeks, within a month or so. And so the family, as they're now returning, they come back, and at 40 days, they're able to make a quick stop at the temple for the purification rites for Mary as required by Old Testament law, and then off to Nazareth they go. That allows both Matthew and Luke's chronologies to fit together nicely um, with each other, which is, again, tricky to do. Or we could argue for a later visit. So Jesus is born, eighth day, named and circumcised, 40 days they travel together to the temple, and then the Magi visit baby Jesus in Bethlehem. And after the visit, the family flees at least 75 miles, Herod the Great dies sometime over the next few months, and then they can return and go straight to Nazareth. What we would have to concede in order for this account to fit Matthew and Luke together nicely is the idea that when Luke says that they leave after the 40-day purification ritual and they head off to Nazareth, that he just skips over the event of them traveling back to Bethlehem for a little bit and then to Egypt... He just makes it a more grand, summary-like statement of the life of Jesus in his childhood. He skips from the purification law to Jesus growing up in Nazareth, basically. So either one of those is possible. Personally, I go towards the idea of an early visit for the Magi. Ultimately, though, it doesn't matter. What matters is, as we see from Matthew here over and over again in the chapter... Jesus' fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. He is the Savior who was to come, who is to come, and as we know, has promised to come again.